Hello, and welcome to this episode of Last Hour's Art Dirt. Um, I'm Christina Reese. And I'm Brandon Zek. And one of our taglines for this is, this is a podcast in which we talk about topical art topics. Now, that repeat phrase, that repeated phrase, is kind of an ongoing joke. It's something that, I think that our very first Art Dirt, Rainy used that term, topical art topics, and we laughed, and so we've done it ever since. I've had a couple of people ask me, recently why we say that and if we realize that we're uh being repetitive but i think it's funny um it's just one of those inside jokes that happens in a podcast on the first few episodes that, that then just becomes part of its identity yeah absolutely uh but welcome to 2020 this is our first art dirt in the new year and uh we thought that we'd do something we've kind of seen some other uh, publications do this but this would be a very texas-centric version of it but um our ideas and predictions and um hopes for the coming decade. Yeah, hopes, dreams, In ideas, Texas. predictions. We saw so many kind of end of the year lists. So we did some end of the year list ourselves, but we saw um, kind of an odd number of them because of the also end of the decade lists. And now it's beginning of the new decade and here we are. And we know, we, we looking back, we realized how much the art world, especially the Texas art world too, changed over the past decade. So sure. what's going to happen in the next decade? Well, so we're going to we're going to jump into this and we we uh, we'll do some predictions and we'll do some hopes. But, um, you know, certainly one of the things about culture, uh, visual art culture included, is everything feels very, very sped up. And to younger generations, that may not be true because they're digital natives. But for those of us who've really straddled, you know, an analog world and a digital one, it does feel like everything has happened very, very quickly. When we look back over the last decade, it's kind of incredible to me what was going on in 2010 uh, compared to now. And it doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but it was, but it wasn't. Um, but a lot of, for me, a lot of ideas or predictions stem from kind of the digital revolution and what the art world has um, had to, how it's evolved or what it's had to endure or how it's even exploited it. Just to say, uh, kind of to put things in context, when I was looking at end of the year recaps or end of the decade recaps from things like the New York Times, not even the art world necessarily, but just how the world has changed oh, in that yeah. regard over the past 10 years. Yeah. I mean, the fact that the first iPhone came out truly not that long ago as far as this timeline is concerned and that really i mean all of the streaming platforms and that everything that youtube i mean youtube had its first billion hour day recently oh my gosh. like all of these all of these all of these insane uh technological speed ups have really happened over the past truly the past six years oh yeah so this is all a new world and no one knows how we're navigating it yet. Yeah, and so trying to make predictions from, uh, we're recording this on January 3rd, 2020, trying to make predictions right now at this time is very difficult because of the nature of the politics in this country and this world right now and how things are uh, going as well as the digital revolution. So we can we can make our predictions uh, and we can have our hopes, um, but I don't. It's very. I mean, if we listen to this in ten years, if we're all still around and we can hear it, I have no idea how accurate we're going to be. But you know, we're we're two different generations, Brandon. You and I are two different generations, and mm -hmm. I've been in and out of Texas, uh, mostly in Texas for most of my life, and I've been watching the art uh, thing here uh, since I was in my twenties, uh, or even younger. And, um, you've done the same. 
we've you've been in Houston. I've mostly been in Dallas, Fort Worth. What I do feel in Texas and everywhere else is there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of fatigue. And of course, that affects the art world and artists and art lovers as much as as it affects everybody else. There are a whole lot of think pieces now about how tired people are of what's going on and what the world looks like. And this is whether you are a liberal or a conservative. I mean, people are angry and depressed and confused. And that goes back to the on, just the online bombardment of everything because we see everything all the time now. I digress. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, with all of this and, you know, as the um, kind of the Internet and titans uh, of the recent past used to believe that they're their various um, uh, inventions would bring the world closer together. What we found is that it has splintered things. And the art world, there's never been just one art world. There's a bunch of different art worlds, but there has up until probably 10 years ago, there was a kind of a considered consensus version of an art world that I see has been splintered even more in the last 10 years, probably mostly due to the internet and the kind of splintering and tribalism that comes with the internet. I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing for art and artists. I know there's a lot less money in a very decentralized art world for the artists themselves. That's not good. But what I like about, and we've said this many times, being in Texas and being somewhat protected from market concerns, like mm-hmm. the larger international par- market concerns has always been, I think, quite good for Texas artists uh, and for our own mental health um i think texas artists are actually pretty well positioned to continue to kind of keep on keeping on the way they have uh while feeling even more validated that they don't have to interact with say auction house stuff or um the largest philanthropists buying for specifically their own private collections etc etc uh, it's it's I think we're continuing to turn inward. What I am curious about is where all this anger is going to go. Anger makes uh, it's an interesting energy and it makes for very interesting artwork. We have a lot of artists who are angry for very different reasons from even one another. I think things will continue to decentralize. You and I were talking about this just an hour ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I think scenes will continue to become more disparate and independent. I think it'll become almost more exclusive that when something interesting happens within a given art scene, whether it's in Texas or anywhere, the idea that other people find out about it, it's almost like a million different closed or private clubs. Like who gets to find out about this event that's taken place? Mm -hmm. Who gets to see pictures of it? Where does that documentation take place? You know, how much longer is Instagram going to be a thing? How much longer is YouTube going to be a thing? How much longer? I mean, we already, no one's on Facebook anymore except for what old people. I don't know. I mean, I, and I say that I'm kind of joking and I'm kind of not, but... Um, well, and that decentralization has been something that I, I think Glass Tire has always been a part of, kind of in two very different ways, because Glass Tire is really kind of a, 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 um, a factor, a publication that tries to make Texas cohesive mm, as a group. Right, we try. Um, and that's, that's what some people uh, really like about us or at least that's what they tell us they really like about us yes. i know people from more rural areas I, of, of course i'm talking about the cities that are not part of texas's big uh, metroplex triangle but places like el paso lubbock uh, amarillo people who live there read glass tire and tell us that they like us because we're able to tell them what's happening in these other uh, cities uh, the, the the main art centers of Texas, if you want to call it that. But I could also see 
like kind of our role as glass tire contributing to the fact that the texas art scene would become decentralized because if you can yeah if you can know everything that's happening and that's that's not just us but that's contributing to the fact that we are a publication on the internet and the internet and instagram and all of these things even if they kind of fade out over the next 10 years there will be something that replaces it and links everything together in some way shape or form if there's a vacuum it will be filled yeah it'll be filled we're not sure what it's going to be filled with and for me what's happened with internet and screens and and younger people's addiction to screens older people's addiction to screens is there's been a somewhat of a flattening effect of art and um not across the board i think some individual artists have really figured out a way to use um the internet and technology in incredibly clever and interesting ways. And, um, but I think that there's a couple of things going on with glass tire and with Texas and with trends and, and I, you know, glass tire continues to grow. We continue to add people to our staff. Our budget gets bigger. Our advertising budgets get, everything gets bigger because art is getting bigger. The art world or the various art worlds are getting bigger. There are more MFAs in college and university programs than ever before. There are more adjunct professors than ever before. There are more non-profit art spaces than ever before. You can't mention MFAs without me asking you if there's going to be an MFA bubble that pops in the next <laughs> 10 years. Because I see this, I mean, Christina, Oh, yes, there there will be, because there will be, people are running out of money. There's no money. Well, the pe richest people have money, and it's starting to become, like, the only the richest people have money. Who's going to pay back the student loans? Well, also, just in general, I, I feel like one of the things that has kind of marked this past decade is that so many MFAs don't have a place to go. Yeah, they don't have a place to go once they get out of school. It's a terminal degree. And in theory, you think that that's going to offer you some sort of thing. There, there, there have been, of course, so many podcasts and think pieces and other things about this that we're not going to be able to get into all the issues around this. But just the idea that this has been happening and I can't imagine it going another 10 years. Maybe it will. <gasps> maybe maybe people will continue to cycle through adjunct jobs and the kind of cycle will continue because that's just the way the world works because art schools and just schools in general want people to come through and that's the way they get their money yeah. and people are, you know, willing to do it. But I, I don't know. I feel like there might be some sort of pushback in the next 10 years, either by people who have debt and that's the larger student loan bubble, just kind of a larger conversation or by people who have art degrees specifically, or just a push to uh, a, a push by artists to go away from the MFA route because that's what'll happen. Because they're gonna know that there's no money in it, and so the whole I will say that from 2000 to 2010, um, I lived in New York and I lived in London and I lived in Dallas, and it seemed to me, and you'll know this too, is that a tremendous number of people entering MFA programs, there was still this this myth or this promise or this idea of a, the art star, you know, that you're going to go get your MFA at Yale and then you're going to get picked up by Zorner or Hauser and Werth or whoever, and you're going to become the really fantastically rich and famous and glamorous artist. And I don't think, I don't know, but I seriously doubt that 22 year olds going into MFA programs now believe that about themselves or their futures. Do you really doubt that? Um, I think that it's become far less of an expectation or a sense of entitlement amongst younger people. I think what's happening is as um, 
individual artists are sort of demonified, decommodified by the the larger world because there's too many of them and there's too many too many kinds of art being made and not enough people who are willing to delve in and find out what that's about. They're going to know they're they're going to be broke. And so they're going to make art for themselves and their friends. I actually think that that's a really good development. I think that's going to make for some really interesting art. And they won't really expect to make money out of it. But I do think that there will be fewer parents who are willing to pay for an MFA for their kids or fewer young people who are willing to try to take on that debt themselves. Um, what about the fact that in the next 10 years, though, there's also going to be a whole old guard of professors that in theory, those professorships, those tenure track jobs, unless they, of course, eliminate them, which just, they will and just go in favor of all the adjuncts. There's the idea that, you know, in like five years, you might be able to get a tenure job or you might be able to get a full time job because all of these professors, they're like in the baby boomer generation towards the older end. And mm -hmm. they're just going to be retiring in droves if they can, if they can afford to uh, retire as they retire and move out many schools if they are not making a boatload of money off of their arts program after uh, on their MFA programs, they'll start to only have adjuncts in those places as well. But you can't have adjunct MFAs teaching adjunct MFAs. Well, why? we're seeing a whole lot of things happening these <laughs> days that never happened before. And True. it's all about cutting costs. I mean, people are looking at the bottom line the whole time. Universities, if they devalue um their art schools and they may or they may not and let's let, let's take a look at this about uh, the hypocrisy in, with which art is treated by a, a more kind of money is the bottom line conservative world the nea just got its biggest budget increase in 10 years uh, i believe it's in 10 years maybe even longer and so while we have an administration that's threatening to gut the nea all the time and says arts aren't important actually the arts in the united states is a huge economic driver it's massive and actual capitalists know that actual money men understand that that's one of the reasons the nea is still getting its money universities should pretty much understand the same thing we don't know i feel like as philanthropy and as you're saying these older art professors are going to retire we don't know who's going to fill their places mm -hmm. but i have the same questions about the older collectors in the world the yeah. older philanthropists who have a tremendous amount of money who did have a certain kind of love or passion for collecting what they collected or when they got into it they were having very good one-on-one -on -one relationships with art dealers and curators and as they get old and die and pass all of their wealth on to their kids, are their kids gonna? Do, are they gonna collect art? If they do, what is the art going to be? Um, are they doing it only as investment? Are they going to try to sidestep the idea of donating huge collections to museums because those come with strings attached? And only they're going to start opening more and more of their own private foundations and art spaces. There's going to be way more of those. Is that one of the things you? predict coming because absolutely you know, that's one of the things of course maybe the most uh, the two most oldest and storied in texas are the natural sculpture center and the menil collection the menil especially yeah of, of being these private foundations that are these private collections rather that have really blossomed into be internationally known um and of course there are more private collections in dallas that are much newer but that that really isn't a thing that happens in other texas cities right now what do you think about the idea Ruby of Ruby City just opened? True. Ruby City, Linda Pace's, um, Linda Pace's private collection in San Antonio opened a new building in 2019. You know, and one one thing that's going on is as museums come 
under fire increasingly from the public um, and from reporters and from artists and from activists who are saying we need to really rethink about how, you know how museums are run and and what the biases are that come into every single decision being made in this in this museum. Museums are under fire. Their boards of trustees are under fire. There are going to be a lot. I think there are going to be a lot of wealthy people who are like, I want to sidestep all of this as well. If I open up my own very private art space or foundation, I'm not answerable to anyone. I get to show the art that I want to show, the work that I bought, the work that my friends have bought, and we don't have to answer to the public. Um, I mean, with that, I also think in 2020 there's going to be a huge boom in museums in Texas. We, we kind of already see some of this coming, and this is stuff that rolls over from the last decade. Like the Museum of Fine Arts Houston is going to open their modern and contemporary building. Right. Uh, the Rothko Chapel is heavily expanding their campus with like visitor center and uh, uh, programs building and all of those kinds of things. Uh, the CAM is in the, at the Contemporary Arts Museum Houston is in the middle of a little bit of a campaign to redo themselves a little bit, uh, not like a new building, but, you know, still improvements. Um, and these are just things that, you know, have been in the works for a little while because I feel like in 10 years, there are so many different institutions in Texas that could have done capital campaigns, built a new building, and the landscape of the institutions that already exist will just be amplified. Yeah, and they're going to turn into mega museums. Yeah, because they've become entertainment. They've become another form of mass entertainment or popular entertainment in a way that they weren't before. Uh, in a sense, the, there's some very good things about this. And in a sense, there's a, a real dilution or a watering down of what museums uh, were originally started for. But, you know, people aren't going to shopping malls anymore. They're going to museums and they're getting their selfies done. But I, I think that, I do think one of the fallacies of kind of the expansion of art into popular culture or the idea that visual art, which we know is a more complex um, and difficult thing than, say, very pop culture movies or music or stuff that really is meant to be consumed by the largest number of people possible. Visual art is a more specialized and esoteric thing. I do think that the kind of political activism that's entered art and turned it into almost more of a community service is a whole different thing. I'm not saying it's not art. I'm saying there will continue to be a splintering of what art is and how it's presented. But museums will have a certain kind of remit uh, in terms of serving the greatest number of people in their communities. And the artwork will reflect that. That will be one thing that happens. Yeah, the 2010s was a decade of museums opening. By opening, I don't mean grand opening of a museum. I mean opening up who they are, what they do, how they respond to a community. I also think 2010 was a year of, in, in agreement with the opening, museums really starting to try to respond to the community, maybe because the community started coming into the museums kind of for the first time, like in a mass migration. And they were trying to get people in. I mean, museums have been very good at putting up shows that they thought would bring in the greatest number of people that they haven't even gotten in before, which is has been really interesting. Um, but I think that with that, if museums start to rejig their entire you know reason for being um what what i'd like to see and what you'd like to see we would love to see more of in texas and there needs to be as much of this in texas as possible is more artists run spaces more collaboratives more people more artists getting together 
to put on shows in the places where they want to see the work and to see the work that they want to see of their by their friends and their colleagues. Um, some stuff that's more excessive or more extravagant. The problem with all of this, as I see it, and as we've even felt in cities like Dallas, where there's like a, a city at work to kill a grassroots scene, is that there's more regulation than ever before. Everywhere. But are there more regulations? There are more regulations in the cities. Right. Which, you know, all of this, all of this is interconnected. So the rise of artist-run spaces... I think would go hand in hand with the decentralization. Right. Because, or well, I could be wrong. Where you know? can you get away with doing the craziest thing? Is it not exactly. in Austin anymore? It's certainly not in Austin. It may be an hour west of Austin. But, you know, like in and around, I'm trying to think of the decentralization of Houston, which in itself is kind of a pretty decentralized place. Yeah. That's, that's a little bit of a misnomer. That phrase doesn't work. Um, but like, I'm thinking of trying to run an artist-run space in Sugarland, for example. Well, and I feel like it would, like the cops would get called like it's a house party. Immediately. Because that's kind of what it would look like. Immediately. So, that's the problem with going out into the suburbs, exurbs, and rural areas in order to do art, is that you have uh, uh, a surrounding community that is naturally um, suspicious of art. I think it's just a little more the fact that in a place like Sugarland, there are fewer... I don't know, house party party type gatherings compared to somewhere in actually the center of Houston. Just what it looks like isn't familiar. It's not even necessarily that it's art sometimes. Right. The problem with all of that, though, and as we want to see this decentralization happen, is that I'm not going to, I wouldn't exile an artist to the middle of a place where everyone that they come into contact with doesn't understand who they are or what they do. So I, I understand that as property prices get crazy and artists are priced out of city centers and places where they can be around other artists the whole time and other creative p people the whole time, they're looking for houses and homes and places to be that are outside of the city center so that they can afford it, so that they can find places to show their work. There's just going to be, I think, a kind of... Uh, uh, a kind of consistent low-grade conflict probably in the state of Texas and in other places where artists are trying to make interesting things happen outside of city centers because I think their audience, including law enforcement, are hostile. Um, that doesn't mean it won't happen. And I do want to see a lot more of this kind of rogue artist stuff happening. I think it used to happen. I think that um, there's less of it because I think there's a lot of oversight. I also wonder... If you do talk to older college professors who have been teaching art for a long time, or even younger ones, you hear about, and I don't, I, I do think that the younger generations have got some very, very cool stuff going on, but you do hear about older college professors saying, you know, our students, they aren't, they aren't making stuff happen for themselves. They're waiting for us to do it. And mm -hmm. I have to wonder if this has to do with the way they were parented, that, do you have any ideas about this it, it could be part of it that just stuff can be harder to do sometimes i mean compare just in comparison of like the houston of 2020 versus the houston of 1980 going back to even something like the lawndale art annex when it was part of the university of houston james searles kind of was the person that formed it it was then run by people like michael galbraith and people who were art students at the university of houston and they activated the space mm. but they weren't the ones that went to the administration and said we're gonna get this space off campus and mm -hmm. we're gonna do whatever we want mm -hmm. with it it was kind of mandated 
in some way. So I have I have some sympathy to uh, the younger generation, but I think it's even harder for their mentors to be able to give them something like that because it, of the prices and because, and because of, of all and those because things. of regulation and and that's absolutely true and i mean houston in 1980 was a very different place from what it is now and it was a lot cheaper and it was easier to get away with stuff um but there are other cities in the united states that are probably something like houston was in 1980 well you know that's funny because one of the things that i have written down for this conversation is the fact that we've talked about that Houston right now, or at least Houston maybe five years ago, was like how L.A. was mm. in the 70s and 80s. And I've heard people say that about Dallas-Fort Worth as well. It's just, you know, it, these cities are 20 years behind the bigger art centers or whatever. Um, I would argue now that Houston doesn't really have a whole lot of catching up to do with anybody uh, at this point. But it does mean that it has become a very expensive place to live comparatively. And that if artists want to do something pretty um spectacular they may not be able to do it right in the middle of houston yeah. that doesn't mean that they can't do it somewhere else though i do have to say though i i have visited quite a few art spaces in the last year that are they're they're maybe even so low-key that it's it's one of those like you said it's so low-key it's kind of hard to know about it unless you like follow their instagram i think there's gonna be a lot more uh -huh. of that coming up i be think that's what's gonna happen because a lot of those people are the people who are finding the art friendly landlord who you know they, they live and put on shows in a house that you know might not have a stove but it's cheap and they can afford to do it and it's near the center of town and it's possible um there has been i, I think a little bit of a of a drive and an increase over the past two or three years in that but it's hard to it's hard to chart it Again, I think that this idea that everyone needs or has to have some sort of visual art in their life has been a very strange thing for <laughs> the various art worlds as they exist. I, you know, you don't you don't see lifestyle magazines and everyone else, all the major uh, publications and, and media outlets touting, you know, they're not they don't do the same sort of shoving down the throat of a specific kind of culture with, say, classical music or the theater not to the same well, degree those are the boring arts yes I'm, I'm, but in very latest but but people are expected to put art up on their walls no matter how small their apartment is you know they're expected to get to have it in their lives they're expected to go and put a photo of themselves inside a immersive art installation on their instagram i mean it's all become very expected that this is part of your world and yet it's still something that's a quite a bit more <laughs> complex and not as accessible, not as intellectually accessible, not as culturally accessible as saying the music of Taylor Swift. That's just true. And I still don't, I still, I think at my age and having the experience that I have, it's been, that's maybe been one of the most confounding things about art is how it has come into pop culture. How it has not only come into pop culture, but how the kind of controversy or splintering or confusion or anger or mistrust that that has caused. When something like, uh, when Catalan puts a banana up, tapes a banana to the wall at an art fair, it becomes all about the stunt. It's not about the art itself. I think it was Jason Farrago finally wrote a piece for the New York Times that actually justified why it made sense that Catalan would make that particular piece at this particular time. But conversations around art these days, it, they've gotten a lot dumber. And, um, you know, I'm worried we're going to see a whole lot more sort of cause stuff. And that stuff's going to continue to make a tremendous amount of money amongst the children of the very rich collectors 
or the tech titans who are making a bunch of money. There will be a dumbing down in some parts, but there will be this really, I think what you're talking about, what I was mentioning earlier, there will be a specialization as well and people getting smarter and more interesting, more subversive, quieter, more private. It'll have its own kind of, again, sort of, it'll be its own, you gotta know the password to get into this scene. Well, in terms of the conversation around art, one of the things that I could see happening in the next 10 years, um, it's possible that part of this timeline could extend and be more like 20 years, but there's a whole generation of critics who are in the full-time salaried the last yeah the last of their generation a dying breed oh yes you might call it 100%. people like peter sheldahl who recently wrote a beautiful piece for the new yorker people like telling jerry, us that he's gonna die soon yes yeah um, people like jerry saltz who you know isn't that old in terms of this group of people at this point but you know in 10 years he will be considerably older people like roberta smith at the new york times uh, christopher knight at the la times he's a little on the younger, younger side that, yeah. but this generation of critics in 10 years i mean they will all be the very simple way of putting it they will all, they will all be 10 years older and that <laughs> so is yeah that is to say they'll they'll be 10 years more experienced if they're still in their jobs if these um institutions if these publications still have full-time critic roles if they do uh but what do you think about the idea of that and the conversation and a, a continued specialization of everything including the journalism that that covers visual art um one of the things that's happened um in the last especially since trump was elected but even before is that local newspapers and media publications are hurting, 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 whereas bigger national ones actually got big boosts after Trump's election. Um, well, just also what you realize large publications do because they're media conglomerates. Like the New York Times puts on a travel fair. Sure. And, you know, I, all of these publications are thriving because they're some of the last to read while these smaller local publications have to close shop because they can't pay reporters. Yeah, or because conservative buyers buy them up and shut them down, which is happening. I think um, I think there will continue to be art criticism. I'm, I'm not sure what it's going to look like, and I'm not sure it's going to pay very well. I wouldn't go, you know, lecture a class at a university right now and advise them to go into arts journalism if they wanted to make a living. I think that you can supplement your income that way. But I do think there will still be very thoughtful and very interesting criticism. I mean, artists make work in order to have people respond to it. And sometimes the most public response to it is, is actual journalism. But I think that kid, the young people, their idea about what arts journalism looks like or should be is different from what I grew up with. And that's okay. I'm not... I'm not so concerned about that. I think that the way people respond to culture around them is constantly going to shift. But I think there are still going to be some really interesting uh, responses to work out there. I just don't know who's going to be doing it. And I don't think it's a bad thing that certain paradigms of art criticism um, evaporate while new ones come in to fill it up. I don't think that's, I don't, that's not as much of a problem to me. Again, specialization, it's almost like not nearly as many people are reading novels anymore, but the people who do read novels are very into it. And the people who read the London Review of Books and the New York Times Book Reviews, et cetera, et cetera. I mean that, you know, they're still there and they're diehard. So what you're talking about in some ways is just a more, a smaller, but a much more passionate group of people. So do you think ultimately, if you had to say that the trend is 2020, the decade of 2020, going to become more specialized, 
mostly overall? I think our crisis is going to be whether philanthropy, which has always been the primary supporter of the arts in the U.S., if it is able to continue to build on institutions that it already has, uh, support artists, if that money is going to stay where it is, if it's going to expand, if the arts are going to be con- uh, supported the way they've been supported, or if it's going to be a whole different ball game. And even with the NEA getting more money than it's ever had before, the arts in general in the United States are not particularly well supported by government. Um, and even in Europe, where that was the model for years, that's changing rapidly. Yeah, that's decreasing. So we'll see more privatization of almost everything. The question will be who has credibility, who gets to say what's good or bad, you know, how many voices are involved in that decision making. Um, are the younger philanthropists going to support visual art? Um, what sort of art are they going to support if they do? Will collecting still be a thing or will it continue to be more about experiences rather than owning objects? There's a lot of trophy hunting out there with art, as we know. But I think there's a lot of fatigue around art fairs. I think there's a lot of fatigue around people feeling obligated to know what's going on all the time. Um, so I don't, yeah, I see more, I see smaller, more splintered audiences that are more passionate. And then I see a kind of, in the splintering, there's going to be this whole other art world that really is about kind of theme park entertainment Mm -hmm. that sort of just appeals to a bigger, and it's sort of like the splintering of music. It's like the poppiest pop music versus, I don't know, more complex, interesting music. I I think they're going to be the big money makers for the largest part of the population, and then there will be the more interesting stuff for the people who seek it out. Which really, I'm just kind of saying things will continue to be the way they've always been. But amplify. <laughs> but there's just more people and more people doing it. Yeah. Texas, I think, is a is not such a bad place to be, to be probably, uh, to be located for these next 10 years. I don't really have any particular place where I'm just raring to go because uh, I think things are interesting here. But what do you think? I agree. You know, there's a there's a line in the movie The Marriage Story or multiple lines in the movie The Marriage Story that just kept reminding me of Texas. It was when one of the main characters lives in New York, the other in L.A. And whenever the one in New York would go to L.A., people would ask him where he was from. He'd say New York and they'd pester him to move to L.A. And he'd be like, well, why am I going to move to L.A.? And they'd be like, the, the space <laughs> and it was just this running joke of new york doesn't have any space la has space i think that joke's a little flat because la doesn't necessarily have space <laughs> like all that much anymore or at least for you know someone just trying to kind of do their passion maybe right. on a relative budget yeah um and texas does texas has space and no matter what we talk about the idea that Things are going to become decentralized because everything's still unaffordable and all of these other complications that Texas has around it. They're all valid and they all exist. But whenever I I tell a friend in New York that, you know, a studio down the road is five hundred dollars, they just laugh. Yeah. And it's I, I still know I have to preface the price of something in Houston in in mid city, like center of city Houston. I have to preface it with, well, I know this isn't a lot for you, but it's a lot for... Relative to Texas. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think while we still kind of are at the point where in Texas we have the ability to live in that world, 
I think we're really still going to thrive. Mm -hmm. So this is a roundabout way of saying, I agree that I think in the next 10 years, maybe some areas will get to that point where it'll be hard to be in Texas, but I still feel like it's going to be a very productive, prosperous 10 years in most all of Texas and increasingly more of Texas as people spread out. Yeah, I think that's probably true. And I think, I think again, trying to call, call it right now today, given how kind of absurd and upsetting the world is, is very, very difficult. But I do think, I still think that artists are a very key go-to in terms of reflecting the world back at us in a way that's incredibly interesting and true and varied as hell. And Texas is going to turn out a lot of really, really good artists. And, and I think some of its veteran artists are going to continue to make some good work. I think right now this strange kind of semi-paralysis is going to, not with some of our artists, but with some others, I think we'll turn a corner. I think there will be an explosion of art. Again, we just don't know what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. But we'll be, uh, we'll be around to cover it. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> or so we th- so we think uh, so as we long hope. as as long as Houston is still in existence uh, after however many more hurricanes are going to come this way but yeah we'll we'll just uh, we'll move the office an hour north <laughs> <laughs> what would that what would that put us in the woodlands yeah oh no class tire based out of the woodlands all right all right um, and with that is there anything else um, any other prediction I think i'm all predicted out i'm kind of predicted out too um but it's it's uh it's fun to think about unless you know unless you wake up in the morning on the wrong side of the bed and then it's terrible to think about but i i do think these next 10 years are going to be fascinating i think they're going to be real tough for a lot of us for a lot of reasons but i think they're going to be really interesting and i want to see what artists are going to do with it all right so with that please enjoy your january be safe out there and um wherever you are in texas there's probably some art to go see so as usual we will end this with go see some art go see some art